is Bad Boys and Beyond with your hosts, Mike Payton and Keith Black Trudeau. The game's over and the Pistons have won the world championship. To Bad Boys and Beyond. I am your host, Mike Payton. With me, as always, is Keith Black Trudeau. And today we got another special guest. No, it's it's not Raven. It's kind of a Raven, but not the one from WWE or ECW. <laughs> it's the one from the Indies. Uh, and it's Ben Raven, Detroit Lions beat writer from M Live. Ben, I'm so happy to have you today. Uh, Welcome to the show, and yes, I think the people out there are craving some Raven. <laughs> Give them a call, call then. Yeah. I appreciate I appreciate that you can actually say I am on the indie scene now, so that's an accomplishment, but thank you for that intro. I'm happy to be here. I love talking 90s, early 2000s NBA as much as possible, so I immediate yes for me. Are you, are you back in the ring? We haven't talked about it in a while. Are you back in the ring now? No, nope, I am. Are you just uh, doing the announcing? I'm a play-by-play man uh, at the moment. You know, we'll we'll see what happens down the line. I've been back around the guys for about five months now, and a couple of them are pushing me in that direction. And now that I've got some time here with the Lions season being over, we'll we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. Never uh, say never. Never say never <laughs> say never, brother. Uh, Keith Keith looks confused. Ben is a uh, trained professional wrestler. It's true. Um, <laughs> But he sort of left that world behind to cover the Detroit Lions, like we all do. Uh, <laughs> and, and now he's now he's doing play by play on the independent scene. That's right. <laughs> you never know. Uh, so Ben, um, how tall are you? Six foot six. I'm six okay. foot six. Yeah. So Grant Hill re- remains the tallest guest we've ever had. Then. <laughs> yeah. What's what's he got me by an he's, inch? He's, six seven. He's, he's six, six eight. eight. Six, or eight, six, eight. Okay. Yep. 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 He's yep. got me. <laughs> so, all right. So that, that streak continues. We'll get to, we'll beat Grant at some point, but uh, anyways, uh, today we're going to be doing the 1998 NBA draft. We're going to go through and redraft uh, and it's going to be a good time. There's a lot of names that you'll remember in this one, but before <laughs> we, before we get into that, uh, I want to talk with you guys about the current Detroit Pistons. There's uh there's a lot of trade rumors going on. Uh, as the trade deadline is uh, fastly approaching us, it's only a few weeks away. Um, and and there's one thing that concerns me, and that's the talk about the potential Sadiq Bay trade. I I am not in on this, yeah. and uh, I'm curious what you guys think about it. I think it's a bad idea. Well, you, you for you're gonna have to give me some context because it seems like everyone and their brother is throwing out a different Sadiq Bay trade. So what well, are we talking? Apparently, the Miami Heat are very interested in trading for Sadiq Bay, which, you know, you hear these reports all the time, such and such team is interested in trading, yeah. but this one maybe seems to have some legs to it. Um, 
Like I, I'm sure the Pistons would be interested in trading for Anthony Davis. I just like what's the proposed, <laughs> what's, what's the proposed deal here? I, I I'm not sure what the proposed deal would be. It's just one of those things where they're interested in trading. I guess Duncan Robinson would theoretically be oh. included in this trade. <laughs> uh, all right. And I, I've yeah. said this repeatedly on uh, on on Twitter, but it's always the teams that have no real assets to give up <laughs> that are always the most interested in players that are on the market. It's funny how that works. Um, I I did scan over Miami's assets or or lack thereof. Uh, they, I mean they have players, obviously they have talent, but it's all top shelf or veteran or very high price talent that you would not expect to. Give away. They, I'll put it this way: They have very few future assets. Uh, I, I believe they can trade their draft pick this year. I think. I, I think this is like the last year that they can trade it. But um, uh, but even, even so, even if they were to offer their twenty twenty three first rounder, I where where would that even fall? Like mid teens, and Sadiq Bay. I'll put it this way: You're you're hitting the reset button. Mm-hmm. Yes, you wouldn't have to pay Sadiq Bay uh, a year from now, but you're you're also you would also be getting a guy that you have to develop all over again. So if you make that trade, what are we doing here? Like we're just spinning our wheels, uh, unless you, by some miracle, think that you can grab a, a future superstar in the mid-teens. Then, I mean, a, a player that you could get at, at that range would ideally turn out to be a guy like Sadiq Bay. So I, I I don't understand why the Pistons would really want I understand why Miami would want Sadiq Bay. I mean he he's he's a great fit for them. I just don't understand why the Pistons would want anything from Miami. You know it would kind of it would kind of feel like a not a complete reset but kind of like a, a longer reset if they actually did move on from someone like Bay. But I mean yeah. Alec Burks, Bogdanovich, like those are names I'd expect like I mean shoot both of them are playing lights out and they're the only offensive threat on the team right now but those are the type of the guys the only type of guys that team should think about trading just in the current state of the franchise i mean bay it's like it still feels like there's something on the bone there and that would feel like a weird waving the white flag unless it was like a no-brainer return which i i'm not convinced they would be able to get that for him yeah right, especially from miami yeah, yeah exactly yeah and, and you're 100 right i Trading Sadiq Bay seems counterproductive at this point. One, because he's he's part of their young core. So unless you're getting a, a another young player in return that's on a similar developmental path as is Bay, so you're not at least move. You're making a lateral move. Maybe you're not moving backwards. But even if you were to do that, Sadiq Bay is having his worst season of his <laughs> career at the moment. So if you're trying to trade him, why would you try to trade him now where his value is arguably at its lowest point? As yeah. it, since it's been since he joined the league, mm-hmm. so look maybe they maybe they uh, have something special uh, lined up. Maybe they can work like a, a John Collins miracle trade. I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe there's something out there that Troy Weaver can can steal uh, a very good player uh, that that can help them win next season from somebody. I, I just don't see it happening, and it's definitely not happening uh, for Miami. Yeah, I, I, I'm of the opinion, and and maybe somebody, maybe you guys will both disagree, but I'm of the opinion that they shouldn't trade anybody. Uh, just stay put. Just stay where you're at. What I, what I don't want is a, is the Philadelphia 76ers process situation where <laughs> eventually it works out, but 
you're drafting guys like Markel Fultz and you're trading him. You're drafting Michael Carter Williams and you're trading him. And you're you're drafting all these guys and you're just moving them after a couple of years and you're not really letting them grow with the team. Not that Michael Carter Williams was, you know, I mean, he was rookie of the year, but he, he he's, <laughs> you couldn't tell you where he plays now. But like Fultz and, you know, those guys, if they would have had time to develop with the team, maybe things would have worked out better for them in Philadelphia. And I'm just not interested in bringing in guys and moving on from them. I understand why you would want to maybe get a first round pick out of Bojan, but this isn't like the NFL where a first round pick is going to be, you know, in the teens or later is going to be something that, uh, that could potentially turn into a starter immediately. You're, you're more looking at guys that are going to be coming off the bench. And I mean, why not hold on to Bojan? He's a great leader. Um, I, from, from what I understand, he, he likes it here. You know why? Like it just, you know, don't get rid of him and, and keep Burks too. And and next year when you have Cade back and, and hopefully you have a good off season with all the cap space that you have, you've got a pretty viable team with two great scoring veterans on uh, off come probably coming off the bench at that point, hopefully coming off the bench at that point. I just, I just don't see why you want to break this thing up just to get a, a pick that's going to be in the teens at the highest. Yeah, the Pistons are already getting a high pick. We already know this. The Pistons are getting a high pick next season. Uh, I mean, if it's one, two, three, four, five, six, who knows? That the lottery guys will decide that. Yeah. But you already know the Pistons are going to have one and yet another young player that they need to develop next season. Do they really want two more for for the third time in four years? Have three have multiple first round picks? At some point, uh, you just have too many young guys that you're developing at once and they, they get in each other's way and you're kind of forced to move on from some of your younger players because they don't have minutes that you can give them to develop them and that often bites you in the ass because the guys that you trade might you know develop on another team because you didn't you couldn't give them a chance because you tried to have too many eggs in one basket so i yeah it, especially with with Bojan and, and burks and I, I this is another point that i made uh the Pistons will have money to spend in free agency uh, quite a bit. The, the guys that they could get next season, it's not a great free agent class, but uh, if the Pistons went out and signed uh, Alec Burks for or an Alec Burks level player for $9 million, uh, people would consider that a success. If they went out and got a, a Bojan Bogdanovic for $20 million, uh, people would consider that a, a great haul they already have those guys under contract next season at those numbers. So why would you be, and next year they look, I'm, I'm not saying anything new here, they, they need to start showing some uh, development as a team next season. They need to start winning games. Uh, Troy Weaver needs to start proving himself as a team builder and not just a, an excellent scout, which he is, but he has to show he can put together a winning team. Like they, they need to start making uh, progress next season. And to do that, you, you need some veterans that know how to play. So uh, unless they get a great deal for Burks or and or Bojan, I, I completely agree with you, Mike. I think they should keep them, and I don't think they should make any huge moves uh, at the deadline. And I think I'm on the flip side only because they're stuck in this just limbo of, like, nowhere near close to competing even for, like, an 8-9 playing game. And, like, Bojan is a perfect guy if they were, like, at that point next season where you thought they might be with Kate going into year three, just to like, all right, that's a guy you want on that developing team. But now it almost feels like they're stuck in that like thunder limbo of like, well, 
you might as well trade the 33, 34 year old playing the best ball of his career for a couple picks. If you can, it just kind of, it's just a tough spot to be right now. There's no right answer because he's a great player and you need a veteran player and a shooter like that, especially on the wing. But it's also like, is he going to be the same guy next year? You know, is this his peak? So I don't know. It's, it's just a nightmare kind of situation where it is right now, especially with the Cade injuries, just like, where the heck are they? Well, I we'll, we'll see we'll see what happens in a, in a couple of weeks. I'm hoping yeah. that they stay they stay put. But if they do wind up moving either player, uh, Bogdanovich or Burks, uh, I'll totally understand it. Um, you know, and and I'll I'll see. I get why they would do it. I just don't think they should. But anyhow, let's get into what we came here to talk about today: the Ooh. 1998 NBA draft. Before we get started, Keith, your news and notes on this draft. What what was going on in the world? Uh, only, only a couple notes. Uh, the the NBA draft on tour continues in Vancouver this year of 1998. It is the second and final NBA draft uh, to this date ever held in the our, our fine uh, neighbors to the north of Canada. <laughs> uh, but. Mostly, the what looms over this draft is the impending lockout, which uh, labor disputes uh, have rarely been this bad as bad in professional sports as it was between the the owners and the players uh, in the summer of 1998. Uh, salaries had, especially rookie salaries, uh, more than anything, had kind of uh, gotten out of control. Uh, you had a lot of. Uh, I want. I want to say you had a lot of uh, power consolidated in the in the younger the younger players as opposed to the veterans, and it, in general, uh, it was just an ugly situation. So uh, a week at and the, the the collective bargaining agreement was set to expire exactly one week after this draft. So you had a lot of uh, draft day trades uh, that were essentially agreed to uh, on this day. In, in June 24th, 1998, that were not con- that were not actually consummated until February of 1999, when the lockout ended. Uh, there was just a whole lot of stuff in limbo for what a good uh, seven eight months uh, that there was just nothing going on in the NBA because everything was frozen until they could get this labor dispute uh, uh, resolved. That means that means a bunch of rookies who were probably getting traded had no idea where they were going to wind up playing or weren't <laughs> sure if they were yeah. going to wind up playing like, there. Like they knew, like just like every other draft, like you had pre these prearranged deals that for one reason or another just couldn't be done that first week, and, and then the lockout happens, and there's they're still technically stuck on like Bonzi Wells was was a Detroit Piston. Everybody knew on draft day he was getting traded, but. He didn't actually get traded until February. So he was like stuck on the Pistons roster for seven months, even though everyone knew he would never play a game for them. Well, the thing I always remember about this draft, and you and I kind of talked about it off air, Keith, was, is Richard Lewis. Right. And now this has happened before, and it it's something you see in the NFL draft all the time. A guy gets invited to the green room, and you expect oh. him to get drafted to a, in a certain spot. This and, one's painful. Yeah. <laughs> and, and and this is not what happened to Rich. Richard shows up with his family. The camera keeps going back to him. He's still in there. And they go back to him again later. He's still in there. The room's a little bit clearer than it was before. They go back to him again. He, Him and his family are the only people in there. 
it, it, it's just it was it was just horrible. He finally winds up going thirty second overall. He doesn't get to uh, shake David Stern's hand because it's a second round pick. He's crying. Uh, it, it, it it's I know that you know it, it's something that's happened again after this, but like this one is always stuck in my mind because it's just so painful to watch this poor kid. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and and I think that last word uh, that last word really emphasizes it because he was a kid and he was straight out of high school, still eighteen, an eighteen year old kid you know, suffering that, uh, I mean, for him, humiliation on knowing that he's on national TV and every camera is looking at him as the guy that apparently nobody wanted. So, but I mean, the, the great part is he he turned it into a, a success story. He's one of the major success stories of this entire draft. Right. Yeah, that's uh, just crying on stage is what I remember. I just remember... Yeah, this is just such a weird year in the NBA because it's like, if I remember correctly, the Vince Antoine trade was like fueled by cash considerations, as goofy as that was. Just so weird, man. Such a strange time. Well, Richard's not going to cry this. this, this <laughs> no, he's he's going to cry happy tears. Um, <laughs> all right, we're going to go ahead and get it underway. I I have the first pick this, uh, this year, and the Clippers are on the board, and I'm going to sprint to the podium because yeah. I already know exactly what I'm doing. Yeah. I'm changing the entire landscape of the Los Angeles Clippers. Uh, everything changes today. Dirk Nowitzki <laughs> is going to the Los Angeles Clippers, and it's obvious. I mean, the guy is a Hall of Fame uh, caliber player. I don't know if he's in yet, he's, but he's going to be. Uh, he, I mean, you know, this guy led the Mavericks to a championship. He took the Mavericks out of uh, out of hell. I mean, they were one of the worst teams in the league for a long, long time. And he made them a viable championship team, uh, took them to the finals twice. Uh, one of the sweetest strokes you'll ever see. Uh, I, I like to uh, pattern my my personal game after him. Um, <laughs> I, I do the, the, the lean back with the leg up shoot thing. Uh, sometimes it goes in. Uh, and yeah, I mean, Dirk is Dirk is the guy. He's the best player in this draft easy pick yeah for sure i mean you're talking to a six foot six guy that played with long blonde hair so obviously i, <laughs> I saw something in him but no it's uh dirk is the five star of this class this class has got a lot of good guys in it but dirk is that like generational talent at the top of this order and it's like would the clippers kill him or would like what would happen with that? <laughs> is, is this the algin baylor led clippers <laughs> well that is that is an interesting conversation because <laughs> the thing about the mavericks is that they had steve nash yep. and that was that was dirk's uh his 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 lifeline if you will like that he he essentially you know they were attached at the hip and and steve nash was what made dirk uh comfortable because for a minute there dirk was considering going back to Germany because things were going so badly. Does he have that in Los Angeles? I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, there, there was a great uh, documentary about Dirk and his uh, career. I, it was up on Netflix. It may still be there. But if it is, I highly recommend it. It is a great encapsulation of everything that he went through from from childhood all the way to the end, end of his NBA career. And it, what you were just saying, Ben, is exactly what I was thinking. Um, I'm not so sure this is going to change the, the landscape of the Clippers because Dirk to start his career was not good. Um, at least as a rookie, uh, the, I don't want to say the word bust was floating around, but there was, 
he struggled a lot. Uh, they, they they tried to feed him minutes early, and he didn't handle it very well. Uh, uh, he, I mean, he improved very quickly after that. But I'm just wondering if the Clippers as an organization were, would have been as uh, strong as the Mavericks were under Mark Cuban uh, and Don Nelson to stay with the developmental plan for Dirk and not uh, cut bait on him too early. So, the, yes, if he sticks around with the Clippers, I mean, this is – uh, remark I, a year after we draft the, the the best power forward of all time in my opinion we're now drafting the second best power forward of all time uh number one overall uh I think Giannis will have something to say about that before his career is over but it's still Dirk in my opinion uh followed very closely by Kevin Garnett people uh people like to come at me for having Dirk above Kevin Garnett but it's really 2a and 2b I mean if you have kg number two that's that's perfectly fine um but yeah this the Clippers haven't seemed to get it together. I mean, even today they have this loaded roster uh, with Paul George and Kawhi Leonard. Uh, they're they're they are they are annually picked to be like a, a dark horse NBA title candidate, and they still can't get out of their own way. So I don't know. <laughs> they just need to move out of LA and rebrand themselves as literally anything else. I, I don't understand. Go back um, to San Diego. Yeah, exactly. Read my mind there. <laughs> I, I'm sure a lot of people would actually love that since San Diego seems to keep losing their teams. <laughs> All right. Well, with the number two pick, uh, the Vancouver Grizzlies uh, playing to the home crowd. Uh, ben, you're up. I am up. And uh, this is, uh, you know, it's one that you think about for a second, but then you're like, no, nah, it's it's Paul Pierce. I, I'll take yeah. Paul Pierce, number two, uh, <laughs> just uh just a baller, man. I, I loved this dude's game. I, I really, he, I mean, he was so good that he like gave me a fondness to some of those Celtics teams with him and Antoine Walker. And then after Walker left, I mean, he was just a scorer and just kind of, you know, I mean, he had a clean, I mean, just an iconic kind of follow through that I can just picture in my head and just a type of guy that like, yeah, the Grizzlies got a solid guy in Mike Bibby, but like, what if they added like a legit scorer to some of those like raw athletic pieces and big pieces they had going there? Because I mean, Paul is the type of guy. I mean, Dirk is good enough to make it work anywhere. Maybe that team wouldn't have been a success. Paul's good enough to score twenty five a night yeah. in those uh, prime years anywhere too. So I think that would have been maybe they would have still been playing in Vancouver if a pick like that would have happened. <laughs> think about the pairing between Paul Pierce and and Sharif Abdul Rahim. Yeah, That's... man. That's a that's quite a scoring duo right there. I think the Vancouver Grizzlies they're going to stay in Vancouver with this. And <laughs> uh, I, I think that maybe I'm wrong. I could be wrong, but Ben may have just saved Paul Pierce from getting stabbed <laughs> by that's sending right. him to Canada. Right. <laughs> got him out of there. Got some yes. people checked at the border. He's clean. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah, I. I, I... Don't know, because I, I think the Vancouver Grizzlies were only a couple of years away from relocating. So I, I don't may, – maybe Vince Carter might have saved them. I don't know if just a really good, really fundamentally sound uh, franchise piece would have would have brought uh, attention, uh, local attention back to the Grizzlies at this point. I think Vancouver had kind of turned down the NBA. Uh, but point, yeah. Yeah, but no, to your point, I look Paul Pierce and he played on some really bad Celtics teams and he mm -hmm. was scoring 25, 26 a game. I what I love about Paul Pierce, um, I I'm a sucker for uh non-athletic, well, quote unquote, um, <laughs> average athlete uh wings that can be 
really productive because they're just smarter and craftier than everybody else. Uh, Paul Pierce is, is like the archetype for that. Uh, was never a great athlete. Uh, just just knew how to use angles, knew how to use his body. Uh, I don't want to say he's similar to a guy we just talked about in our last episode, Adrian Dantley. Uh, but he was kind of in that same vein where he doesn't, if you, he does not look like a guy that should be dominating an NBA floor. Just yeah. he's not overly, he, he's big, but he's not overly tall. He, he doesn't jump very high. He's not very fast. Uh, but at the end of the game, he has 26, 27 points. Uh, <laughs> and he's probably fouled out your, your best defensive wing. Cause he was so good at drawing fouls. Uh, He's not in Dirk's class, but he's in a class by himself above the rest of this uh, this yeah. track pool. Yep. All right. The uh, number three pick belongs to myself uh, on behalf of the Denver Nuggets coming off of, of what the hell were they, 11 and 71 this yeah. year or something? Like they were one of the worst <laughs> teams of all time. And really no one else is, no one on this board. Hell, Tim Duncan couldn't change this this, this roster around. <laughs> Uh, but I'm willing to try anyway. I, look, if we're not, if we can't be good, let's be fun and let's be honest. There, there's no more fun player, maybe in the history of the NBA, uh, than Vince Carter. And yeah, speaking of guys that saved basketball in Canada, yeah, uh, what yeah. Vince Carter did for for the Toronto Raptors was was, was outstanding. Uh, he he really turned them over uh, overnight into from an afterthought uh, locally uh, in Toronto to you know, must see TV because it's weird. Vince Carter wasn't even the best player in his own college team. Uh, great <laughs> athlete, but he was just a, a good player, which is why I think he fell in the draft. Cause it's hard to wrap your mind around a guy not being the best player in his own college team, you know, being a top two or three pick. Uh, but yeah, uh, Vince Carter played in the NBA 20 years, uh, the, the odd thing is that everyone remembers his first three or four seasons in Toronto. Like when you think about Vince Carter, you think about him as a Raptor and really his career as a Raptor lasted what, like three or four years, essentially not counting the years where he got disgruntled and injured and was a non-factor. Uh, but what he does for this Nuggets team, uh, absolutely nothing. They will still be terrible next year, <laughs> but uh, Vince Carter will put the Nuggets on the map. Uh, he is a very easy player to build around. Uh, one of the dynamic acrobatic finishers in the history of basketball uh, was capable of going off for 50 whenever his, his jump shot was falling. Uh, gr- enormous vertical, great hands. Uh, I, again, I can't stress this enough. Uh, went to Canada when Canada's basketball teams were a laughing stock and turned one of their franchises into one of the most popular teams in the league just because he was that fun to watch. All um, right. Another great uh, documentary on Netflix there, the Vince Carter yeah. Toronto. Yeah. I've seen that one. That one's great. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so circling back around, uh, since this was a prearranged deal, we're going to give the, we're, we're going to treat the fourth pick as if it were the Warriors uh, and not the Raptors uh, <laughs> for, for cash, because they didn't really, apparently at the fourth and fifth picks, uh, neither team really cared. <laughs> Like the, the Raptors apparently didn't care who, who 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 they picked between their fourth and fifth guys on the board, so they they swapped picks with the Raptors for cash, uh, which was, in, in retrospect, kind of a not a good idea because they should have just taken Vince Carter. But anyway, um, fourth pick, uh, Mike Payton, you're up. 
So for the Warriors, I'm just going to stick and uh, take the guy that they wound up with anyways, Antoine Jameson. Uh, people will often forget how good this guy really was. He was yeah. a scoring dynamo uh, for years for the Warriors um, and uh, and Washington and, and, uh, and Dallas. And I think people really mostly, you know, people, younger people, I guess, mostly really remember his his Cleveland days or Washington. But he, he was he was a really, really great player. Um, and he was the guy, he was the better guy on that North Carolina team that Keith was talking about. (laughs) And, uh, and yeah, Antoine Jameson, I don't know if he changes basketball in Toronto because while he's a great scorer, he wasn't nearly as exciting as, as Vince was, but, uh, but yeah, he at least makes the Raptors a better team. Yeah. I remember loving Antoine early in that run and it was like, Oh, he's finally healthy. I remember he had a 50 point game for the warriors and it's just like a guy that kind of felt like every time he was going to hit that next level kind of got hurt or traded or something like that, but definitely kind of like a super underrated, just like this can be your number two or number three guy for sure. Yeah. Um, he actually had uh, with the Warriors. He had fifty. He actually had back-to-back fifties. He's one of crazy. <laughs> one of only twelve players in NBA history to have back-to-back fifty-point games, and he did one of them against Kobe, where he and Kobe both went for fifty, I believe. Uh, yeah, Ed, Ed, uh, Antoine Jameson was the guy that Raptors fans thought Ed O'Bannon would be in the '96 draft. Mm-hmm. Uh, and not only was he the best player in that North Carolina team, he was National Player of the Year. Uh, on that North Carolina team. And while he's not nearly as exciting, and I don't think he was as good uh, a player as Vince Carter, uh, he was an all-star in his own right. Uh, as far as putting the ball in the basket, he actually has a higher career scoring average than Vince Carter. Hmm. Uh, proved himself on a, on a bad Warriors team, like we said, uh, as, as a walking bucket. But he also, after after he left Golden State, he went to Dallas and was sixth man of the year. Uh, there, there was really not a whole lot. A- as a offensive player, uh, he was able to adapt to any situation and be an extremely effective player. And then he goes back to to Washington, and he's an all star again. So, uh, yeah, I, I think he is kind of the forgotten man of this draft. Uh, he he kind of gets lost through the cracks of history, but I, I think he is absolutely uh, the fourth best player uh, in this draft. So. The number five pick uh, via the uh, Golden State Warriors, we have the Toronto Raptors. Then uh, you were picking. You know, and this, I kind of, I feel like this is, it, it'll get weird after this one. It's got to be Richard Lewis, the mm-hmm. lanky kind of guy. I mean, I mean, it's a roller coaster ride. It was a roller coaster ride his entire career, but I mean, I mean, he had just some unbelievable kind of just versatile just seasons as a guy that can knock down shooter get you rebounds get you points I mean what he did for Orlando in that series against the Cavs in the playoffs was just remarkable balled out in that finals run I mean really was the piece that the magic needed to make that work and just uh gosh I think I'm looking 22 points a year one year for those Sonics before they before he got shipped off to Orlando I mean just really was kind of a player it took a while for him. I mean, he was in that weird generation of tall guys who can shoot that kind of the league had to figure out what to do with him. But once they kind of did, he, he was kind of like a, this guy's going to get 18 points and nine rebounds and hit two or three threes every game. So he, he might not, a he might not a revolutionized basketball in Canada the way Vince did, but he would have been a solid little piece for that Raptors team for sure. But yeah, Richard, man, he, he it's kind of, kind of, kind of an underrated slash overrated up and down roller coaster type of guy. He was an absolute, 
uh, problem on NBA 2K behind yes, the three-point line. <laughs> I, I used to trade for that guy all the time and put him on the Pistons. And he just sit him behind the three-point line. And, and anytime you threw it to him, he was going to hit. He was going to hit. Loved that guy on that game. Yeah. Keith, the, uh, go ahead. Any thoughts? <laughs> yeah. Everyone remembers Richard Lewis for being uh, on that Dwight Howard 2009 Orlando Magic team that went to the finals. But people forget he was an all-star before that on yeah. that on that Sonics team where he was like a tag team partner with Ray Allen. That, that They just didn't play a whole lot of defense, but Ray Allen and Richard Lewis were arguably two of the top five shooters in the league at that point. So that they would just bomb away, and they were they were still a pretty uh, dangerous team. Uh, but yeah, he he Richard got paid a lot of money, uh, had a lot of stops <laughs> around the league. He was he was good at pretty much all of them, and he he bookended his career with a a championship uh, with the LeBron uh, Miami Heat. All right, so uh, again with this weird, uh, we have another weird trade uh, with the uh, six and nine picks where. The, the Bucks and Mavericks swapped uh, for, for Pat Garrity. That was a pair. Pat Garrity was apparently enough. Notre Dame, baby. That's yeah. right. I remember. <laughs> yeah, for the, yeah for, the, for the Bucks to move from nine all the way to six, and they, they still got destroyed in this deal. Uh, but for so for the, I'm, I'm going to act as the Milwaukee Bucks uh, with this number six pick. And I, oof, and this is the first team that's actually pretty like decent that we've come across. So I actually have to think about it a little bit. Like the, the Bucks are really set at point guard for a while. And that's the problem is the two best players on the board are both point guards. Yeah. Um, mm. You know what? I am going to check down on my board a little bit, but I am going to take by far the best center in this draft on a team that does not have a center. Uh, really, uh, out of Purdue, uh, the Milwaukee Bucks select Brad Miller. Hey, <laughs> uh, Brad Miller, a, a man who went undrafted in this draft, uh, goes with the number six pick. Uh, he was just kind of a guy in, in Purdue, uh, playing in the Big Ten. He, uh, <clears throat> he goes undrafted, as I said. And the interesting thing is, the lockout kind of saves his career. Because the world championships were were taking place a, a few months after this draft, and because of the lockout, the NBA players refused to go. So if you were drafted by an NBA team or under contract by an NBA team, you 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 did not participate. Well, fortunately for Brad Miller, nobody wanted him, so he goes he joins this this motley crew of of uh like the the Z team for the USA uh go plays in the world championships uh they nearly won the world championships by the way with a team comprised entirely of guys that weren't worth nba contracts uh brad miller was by far the best player in that team and coming out of the lockout he gets offered a contract he goes on to become a two-time all-star uh excellent uh skilled big man uh could shoot it could pass could rebound uh, he goes to Indiana, finds a home there, becomes an all-star. He gets traded uh, to the Kings because Indiana doesn't think he's worth the money to re-sign. He goes to the Kings, and he he, he becomes an all-star there, too. Uh, th- this is one of the cool, one of the uh, cooler undrafted free agent uh, stories, I think, in NBA history. And I, I think he's just an amazing fit on Milwaukee. You put him with uh, Sam Cassell, 
who I, I don't remember if he joins now or late. No, I think he is on the team already. So Sam Cassell, Ray Allen, Glenn Robinson, you had Brad Miller to the mix. That might actually be a top four team in the East uh, for the next couple of years. I like it. Shaking up, shaking up the board. I like it. It makes sense though, too. Brad Miller played forever. Yeah. Yeah. He was a very, very, very high quality player. All right. So going back around for the third time, uh, drafting for the Sacramento Kings, uh, Mike Payton, are you going to change history here? Uh, ever so slightly. Yes. Ever so slightly. Uh, because I'm going to send a player, uh, to Sacramento a little bit earlier than he originally went there. And uh, I'm going to draft Mike Bibby because, you know, we're, we're talking about a guy who just won the national championship. Uh, probably the best point guard in this entire draft. Not probably. He is the best he point guard in, in this entire draft. Uh, and when, once he gets to Sacramento, he like, he, he holds that Sacramento team together. Uh, that, that team that was at one point in time, maybe the best team in the league, even though, they wound up not winning the championship. Like he was, he was the glue that put that held that he ran the floor for that team. Uh, so I'm going to send him there early. And uh, you know, I, I'm sorry, white chocolate. You're going to get drafted today. I'm sure of it, but it's just, <laughs> it, you're, you're not going to run this team. Um, and, and right away he's going to start uh, because the, the Kings have Michael Hawkins, uh, Kevin Ollie and Terry to and that's uh, that's not a very good lineup of point cards. So Mike Bibby's going to get some some run right away. And once uh, Chris Weber shows up, very soon. Oh no, he's here. Never mind. Chris Weber's here. Yeah, they, they've, they, yep. they've already traded for him. And uh, Peja is a rookie this year, or he's going to finally play this year, I should say. Yeah. Uh, this is going to be a fun little team, and it's and it's got your boy on it there, uh, John Barry. I know you love John Barry, Keith. Oh, who doesn't love John Barry? He's going to get, he's going to basically be the starting uh, shooting guard on this team. At least this season he is. All right. Good stuff. Yeah. Yeah. The uh, talk, talk about guys that weren't even the best player in their college team. Now, to be fair, Mike Bibby was a, right. a one-done freshman, I believe, on that, not, that national championship Arizona team. Yeah. Uh, but really, well, actually, this year he might have been, I'm not sure, but. No, no, he wasn't. No, I take it back. Miles Simon, were... yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, my, yeah, my, well, I think Miles Simon, that was the year before. I think Miles Simon had gone into the draft the year before. He was definitely the best player in that that 97, but this is a year later. I think he yeah. was a second round pick in this draft because that was this is when Arizona won the title, I'm pretty sure. And it was no, no, fresh... the year before the year before I thought ninety seven was when Arizona won the title. I thought they won it the year, the year like this year of this draft. I thought yeah. they were coming off that title because I'm pretty no, sure Miles no. Simon was in this draft. Yeah, he goes second round of well, the Magic. Yeah, you were right. He was in this draft, but Arizona won the year before. They just brought everybody back. Gotcha. Oh yeah, he's right. He's right. Ninety-seven is, he right. is right. Jeez, they were loaded. <laughs> yeah, they had yeah. <laughs> whole starting lineup of NBA players. Uh, but yeah. Uh, Mike Bibby, while not an individually incredibly talented player, uh, incredibly, he was an incredibly intelligent player. Uh, just one of those guys that you just look at him and say, that's a floor general. That's a guy that if I have a talented basketball team, that's exactly the guy you want running it because he could distribute uh, lights out shooter uh, if you double teamed or tried to cheat off of him. 
uh, I don't think he ever really won a, a championship. He really should have in 2002, which we don't have time to get into. But <laughs> uh, just yeah, he, well, Jason Williams made the made the Sacramento Kings fun. They uh, but Mike Bibby made him a contender. All right, so with the number eight pick, the Philadelphia 76ers uh, are up. Uh, ben, who do you see uh, playing the best alongside Allen Iverson from our remaining uh, crop here? Yeah, kind of a kind of a important decision here for Iverson, and I think I'm going to go with uh, Jason Williams here because, like, oh, you know, I, 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 where could a point guard who doesn't shoot or can't shoot, where, where could that work, you know, with his ability to kind of create space and get AI at the ball in tight spots. I mean, you're talking about a small, small lineup. That's not going to play defense, but just uh, I'm looking at the rest of the pieces here and it's like, you know, Larry, Oh, there's my dog. She hates that pick, but uh, you know, I, I just think Jason Williams uh, just hit that playmaking ability to passing ability. That's, that's something, you know, his, his offensive deficiencies would kind of work well with AI and that ability to, you know, just uh, get me the ball. And that's what he does. Funnest backcourt ever. You you think Larry Brown would retire the first month of the season or the second month? Of the season? I think Larry Brown is suited <laughs> that first behind the back pass that Jay Will throws. He's he's gone. <laughs> Can you think of Larry? Can you see Larry Brown coaching Allen Iverson and Jason Williams? Oh in this God, he, he could. Oh handle. my God! <laughs> oh, man. man, that'd be good TV. Uh. <laughs> uh, Eric Eric Snow would be starting over Jason Williams, I think, in a heartbeat. But look, oh yeah, yeah, it would be an I, exciting I, twenty minutes off the bench. <laughs> it would be. <laughs> yeah, it, it's really. It's really not fair to you to have this pick because Jason Williams is clearly the most talented player on the board. Uh, I think he's been the most talented player on the board for just individually uh, for the last several picks now. Uh, but yeah, he, he uh, got another one of these guys. Like yeah. this is a really entertaining draft. Like <laughs> kind of like he was almost uh, like Vince Carter right away, where he was a guy that. From the minute he stepped onto a floor as a rookie, you wanted to see him play because you didn't know what he would do. And Vince Carter was the runaway rookie of the year from this from this class. Uh, Jason Williams was still second. And, yeah, the Kings had to move on from him because uh, there wasn't enough substance to his game. Uh, shot selection was off a, a little bit. His defense wasn't as good as it could have been. But, I mean, he did prove himself later on as a veteran with the Miami Heat. Uh, being a starting point guard in that championship team in 06. All right, so uh, back to me. Uh, the Dallas Mavericks, uh, who have swapped from the sixth pick down to the ninth pick, uh, they are not going to get Dirk Nowitzki out Whoa. of the Oh, can I break news real quick? Can I break news, Ben? Ben, this is, this is of interest to you. Uh, ben Johnson just informed teams that he is staying in Detroit. Oh, wow. Yeah, that is uh... – that is huge. <laughs> Are we going to lose you, Ben? You got to write something? Or? We'll see. I'll, I'll, I'm sure I'll have a message incoming from Kyle here pretty shortly, but that's that's fun. <laughs> what wow. fun timing on that. Yeah, that uh, is huge. Um, okay, well, if, um, if we got to lose you, then we got to lose you, but, um, but let's keep going. We'll try to finish up. Yep, yeah, that's definitely. Fa that's fantastic news. Wow. Yeah, um, that is big news for the, for the I, franchise. I, 
Yeah. Uh, on a side note, I I did I was surprised there was as much interest as there was in him for being a first year uh coordinator. But I mean, he uh, he's obviously going to be a head coach eventually, uh, and I'm I'm glad that Lions have him for at least one more season. All right, all right. So the uh, Dallas Mavericks uh, will not be drafting Dirk Nowitzki. So who am I pairing with Steve Nash for the rest of this uh, crop? Um, who do I think uh, Don Nelson would love the most? And I it's a the the Dallas Mavericks are going to select Al Harrington, uh, straight out of high school. And Al Harrington, not the best player on my board. Uh, what he is though, I think is the the guy that Don Nelson uh would love coaching the most. And I know this because he did love coaching them. Uh, ten years from now in Golden State on the We Believe Warriors, uh, where he was a vital part of that team that uh made that historic uh one eight upset uh, against the Mavericks in ironically in the first round. Uh, Al Harrington, uh, another part of this, uh, the very first uh, real NBA generation of uh, straight out of high school players, really the only generation because they did away with it uh, after six or seven years. Uh, he goes to the Pacers. Uh, like most high school players, he, it takes him a while to develop. Uh, patience pays off for the Pacers, though. He, he becomes like a vital six man for them. Uh, he actually, I think, finishes second in six-man-of-the-year voting to, to Antoine Jameson the year he won it. And he eventually gets traded. He has to get traded to Atlanta for Steven Jackson, which was a good move on Indiana's part. Then he goes to Atlanta, uh, really shows what he can do on a bad team where he's scoring 20-some points a game. And then he shifts from there to um, Golden State, as I said before. He's part of a very successful playoff uh, caliber team. And then from that point, he goes to the Knicks. Uh, and he's scoring 20 points a game there. So this is a guy that never really found like a permanent home in the NBA. Uh, absolutely uh, love his talent though. And his fit uh, as, as a big man that can post, he can drive. Uh, he, he can, he later on in his career, he developed a very good, uh, reliable three point shot. Uh, but unfortunately this is going to set the Mavericks uh, rebuild back at least a few years. Cause he's not a franchise changer. All right, back around one more time, or yeah, back around for the fourth time, the Boston Celtics, who will not be getting Paul Pierce in this draft. Uh, Mike, you're up. I'm sorry, Keith. Who did you take? Al Harrington. Al Harrington. That's what I thought. Okay, sorry. This time I was like Ben. I'm I was a little distracted there, probably. Uh, okay, I'm taking. Uh, if you want a triple double, this guy's gonna manufacture one for you. Uh, and, and he's going to do it by throwing his own rebound up off the backboard oh, and no. catching it. I'm taking oh, it. Yep, I'm doing it. Ricky Davis to Oof. the Boston Celtics, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Ricky, Ricky, Ricky's actually, you know, a lot better of a player than I thought he was. Uh, I looked over his stats. He plays 12 years in the league, which is, you know, I guess not too long by a lot of the guys in this distress standards, but. But he he scored twenty points a game with the with the Cavs in two thousand three, um, and other than that, I mean, he was a 15, 16, 19 points per game play. Like he's he's a pretty good player, uh, and I think that you know the Celtics need a pretty good player at this point. They're not getting Paul Pierce. Um, I'm a little concerned about Ricky Davis and Antoine Walker playing together. Yes, uh, but you, you know. 
it is what it is. And uh, we'll see how, how long Rick Pitino uh, lets him stay in town before he eventually trades him like he did Chauncey the year before. Uh, but yeah, Ricky Davis to the Celtics. <laughs> That's wild. Ricky Davis. I mean, he's just a wild character. You hear some very fun stories behind the scenes about him and stuff like that. I think I was just listening to a Ben Simmons or a Bill Simmons doc and just kind of talking about how Ricky like wouldn't go to a team meeting because he rented a boat. And he wasn't going to lose his deposit. I listened to that today too. Yeah. <laughs> I listened to that same one. Hey, I get it, man. Those boat deposits, they got to be expensive. Man. <laughs> Yeah, I don't know what I dislike more about Ricky Davis. Just his, his absolute like doesn't play well with others. Um, uh, aura that he gives that he gave off on the court, or the fact that he absolutely just killed the Pistons every time he played them. Because look, to Mike's point, when Ricky Davis was on, he was almost unguardable because he was so athletic. Uh, he knew how to get get to the basket. Uh, he had no fear, no conscience. So if that if that jumper was dropping, there was no way to really shut that water off. And then for whatever reason, it always seemed like it happened against the Pistons. And oof, it, he was just a guy that talk about a guy that never really found a home. Uh, I mean, he would put up numbers, and then the team that he was on would get would want him on another team. Uh, the eleventh pick, which originally belonged to the Detroit Pistons, but is not going to the Detroit Pistons. It is yeah. going to the Portland Trailblazers uh, as part of a larger deal that to acquire Christian Leitner from the Atlanta Hawks. Uh, the sanity <laughs> of which I will not, I will not bring up now because we will be sitting here until midnight. So the the the, the Portland Trailblazers, on behalf of the Detroit Pistons, with the number eleventh pick, uh, the that pick uh, belongs to Ben. All right. Yeah. Uh, that's funny that that pick was traded for uh, Christian Leitner. I was trying, having a hard time remembering who the <laughs> end Not, result of that was, trade it was. was. A, it was a two-part deal. Like the, <laughs> the pick was traded. Uh, the Pistons got a 99 first from Portland for that pick, and then they traded that 99 first. Mm. They, they moved it to Atlanta with Scott Pollard for Christian Leitner. Okay. Okay. So I'm picking for the Blazers, and I think uh, Katino Mobley is the pick for the Blazers here. You know, just kind of a clean. He was he was good for a couple of solid teams. Played in a lot of playoff games. Was a kind of underrated shooter. Uh, this kind of just kind of a bucket, kind of an underrated walking bucket that just kind of like got you 15, 16, 17 points every single time he laced it up and. Uh, I, that's kind of someone that gets forgotten too. Like, no, he wasn't a star. He wasn't an all-star, but this was like a really solid rotational player for the better part of a decade. So Catino Mobley, Catino Mobley, big three, the big three. That's right. He's still, he's still uh, relevant today. 11 uh, year career was a double digit score uh, for really 10 of those. And the one year he didn't as a rookie average 9.9. Uh, very definition of a walking bucket. In fact, he is still going to the Drew League uh, every summer at age, what is he, 47, looking like Santa Claus, and he is still putting up uh, 30 or 40 points against amateurs. Uh, Just a a natural, uh, gifted basketball player. Uh, Like, yeah, he never had this success uh, as far as, was he ever an all-star? No. Uh, but on those Houston Rockets teams, and again, this was a very low-scoring period of the NBA, he topped out at almost 22 points a game. Uh, 
for that first year with Yao Ming. And then he he goes to the Clippers and he's a at, even at the end of his career, he's averaging 15 a game uh for a playoff team in LA. So yeah, he, he I don't he's not the best player. Well, he's not the most talented player on my board, but I I think he's got he by far had the best career. And yeah, this is a good pick. All right. Uh the rest of this draft is going to be dominated by the Orlando Magic. Uh they have three of the final four picks. All right. So uh the the first of which falls to myself, the number 12 pick and Look, I know this guy didn't have a long career, but he's been the best player on my board for a while now. Uh, you know what? I'm, I'm going to pet. Yeah, I see someone else here that I have higher rated. Uh, Bonzi Wells is going number 12 to the Orlando Magic. Uh, the the coulda, shoulda, woulda been a piston. Uh, Bonzi Wells uh, had a little bit of baggage. Uh, that probably would have pre- prevented me from taking him anyway because he was such a talented player. Uh very athletic, uh, big post-up guard. Uh, people would remember him uh, in his early years on those Portland teams. Uh, he gave Kobe Bryant fits defensively. Kobe Bryant had trouble staying in games whenever they would just go to the post uh, uh, with Bonzi Wells, and Bonzi Wells would just beat him up in the post mercilessly. Uh, very good two-way player. Uh, again, had some baggage that came with him, but the, the talent was undeniable. And yeah, the, the Magic can really, looking at the guys left on the board, the, the Magic could actually do some damage here. All right. One back, uh, one last time back around. Uh, the Orlando Magic back on the board again at number 13 uh, via the Scott Skiles trade in 1994, where the Orlando Magic basically traded Skiles for cap space. And they somehow, some way, the Bullets actually threw in a pick. I have no idea why. It makes no sense to me. But um, in any case, uh, Mike, you're up. Well, I am going to – I'm going to pick the guy that I think Keith was about to pick, uh, a player who originally went 14th in this draft and was actually a really good player, really good scorer. Uh, Unfortunately, had a bad hamstring and groin injuries, and he he had to retire early. But he was a really great player when he did play. And when you're down in this low in the draft, you just pick whoever the hell you want. I mean, uh, I'm going to go with Michael Dickerson. Yep, you're absolutely right. Yep, great player. Just, you know, his body just didn't hold up. He was so up. good. He was so damn good. Oh, I, I, oh I, my heart breaks for this guy. Um, he, he was really the most talented player on that, that loaded Arizona team that we keep referencing. Uh, he's probably the best shooter in this class. Even though it, well, Dirk Nowitzki is the best shooter, but it, as far as guards go, he is the best shooter uh, in this class. He, I would say he's a better shooter than Vince Carter. He's a better shooter than Mike Bibby. Uh, man, he he had so much potential, uh, and it really bothers me that his career ended like after what five years. Uh, just could not stay healthy. But yeah, I, I love Michael Dickerson. <laughs> yeah, one one of I don't want to say he's a forgotten player because his career was so short. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I understand why people forget about him. It was just he was so good so quickly. All right, uh, the number fourteen pick belongs to the Houston Rockets, who uh, are about to trade for Scottie Pippen uh, and. 
somehow go backwards. Uh, uh, ben, you are up. Is there anyone that you can that you can uh, look at that will maybe save this uh, impending uh, implosion from the the Elijah on Barkley Pippin rockets that are nowhere near as good as it sounds? You know, I cannot because I'm sending uh, uh, Rafe LaFrance here. You know, I, I think that's somebody that when he yep. was healthy, he was a lot better than he get remembered for. That's kind of two guys that kind of, I mean, Dickerson got himself another contract barely playing in any games. Like that's how good that guy was for a minute. And just, I think Rafe LaFrance, I mean, he was kind of a 12 point, eight point guy. Could have been a stretch five, probably was in a wrong era for him. Wasn't going to be a star or anything, but like, in hindsight, it's still kind of wild that he wasn't the first overall pick in this draft just because I remember, like, he was the, like, college. Him and Paul Pierce were, like, yeah. the two Kansas guys. Those were the stars. Yeah. Those were, like, the ESPN darlings that year, them in North Carolina. It's just Rafe LaFrance. I mean, he, he's remembered as a bust, but he was a lot – he was a lot better basketball player than he gets remembered for and probably was a generation too early and had his problems with injuries. And he's not going to save the Rockets, but he's going to be a solid little – stretch five to play with those old guys yeah one of the very first guys that i can remember that were was a specialist in both three-pointers and blocking shots uh people forget about that people remember that rafe LaFriends um hit a lot of threes but people forget he was a really good shot blocker too like i thought he was a gr- I, I thought he found a great home in dallas uh in the early 2000s uh again not a great defender but he was really really good at blocking shots and he was a guy that could post. He could, I want to say he was like a poor man's Brooke Lopez uh, early on in the 2000s. Like he wasn't to that level, but he was good enough to where he could start and he could do these things. Uh, pretty good drop uh, drop coverage big. Uh, just a great fit with Dirk and Steve Nash and everybody else on that team. All right. Uh, the last pick belongs to myself. Uh, the Magic are once again up on the board. Uh, in a trade with the Nets for uh, one of Mike's all-time favorites, Ronnie Cycli. Uh the, the Orlando Magic had the 15th pick. And to me, this is a no-brainer because this guy is by far the – this is really like – for the 15th pick, uh, to get a Larry Hughes at the 15th pick, and I know we it, – it's easy to say that the guy never lived up to his potential and he was a disaster in Cleveland. They gave him all this money and the – there was guys setting up websites, you know, begging the Cavs to trade him. Uh, but the fact remains, Larry Hughes was a fantastic athlete, uh, all defensive first team one year, led the league in steals at one point. Uh, really, every other stop in his career, he was a positive influence, uh, except for that, what everyone knows him for uh, his years in Cleveland, uh, trying and failing to be LeBron's sidekick. Uh, but yeah, th- this is one of the deepest draft classes that we've done, uh, really other than the 96 draft, to get a player that you that could be a 10-year starter in the league at number 15. Uh, that is – I was surprised. Uh, I had forgotten uh, just how good this draft class was until I started looking into it uh, last week. Uh, but, yeah, I th- look, if you look at the Magic with the 12th, 13th, and 15th picks, uh, we've got uh, um, Michael Dickerson. Uh, we've got – uh, Larry Hughes and who did I pick? What Bonzi, Bonzi Wells. Wells? Yeah, yeah, that's good. a hell of a haul for mm-hmm. for a late yeah in any draft for sure, for sure. You know, Bonzi Bonzi had some memorable playoff moments. I remember his ridiculous run with the Kings randomly that got him another contract. He just kind of always seemed yeah. to have 
he always just played like so so him and al harrington had that kind of same dna of like feeling like they're the best player on the court every time they step on the court i I miss guys like that those guys are fun irrational confidence guys yes yes, exactly yeah (laughs) going against kobe bryant thinking you're kobe All right, so well, that that wraps up the 1998 draft. But as we do, we yeah. we always we always uh, reserve one. We we act as if the Pistons traded up to the 16th spot, and then all three of us get to pick one player. All right, board that we think would be perfect for the Pistons. Ben, since you're our guest, you you get to go first on this one. Give me uh skip to my Lou Rafer Alston, baby. Let's go. Okay, let's go. You know That's- he. That's yeah. my pick too. Right yeah, <laughs> love it. Hell yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I, I would like to recognize that, that uh Piston legend Mike James uh is still <laughs> on the board. Uh I don't think he's a great fit for this team because Lindsey Hunter is still here and we're not at the point where you can bring both of those guys off the bench at the same time. Uh though man, creating the pit bulls in 1999 would be interesting. Uh, but I, I think uh, more than anything, this this Grant Hill Pistons team in the for 1999 and and even to going into 2000, what they really need the most uh, is some scoring punch, uh, especially in the backcourt. And there is a very clear choice here. That's Earl Boykins, uh, out of Eastern Michigan, five foot five Earl Boykins, are really the most prolific scorer in NBA history under uh, under five nine. Not that there's been many of those guys, but the point stands. Uh, as small as he was, and he was a great scorer in college too. Uh, I, I think he fits great. Uh, he would fit fantastic alongside Grant Hill. Could shoot, could handle the ball, could do a whole lot of things. Uh, yeah, I, I really love uh, Earl Boykin's potential fit uh, on this Pistons team, at least for the next couple of seasons until Grant Hill uh, leaves town. All right. Well, that's going to do it for our 1998 NBA redraft. Ben, we want to really thank you again for coming on. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure you've probably you so got much. to get to work. Yeah. <laughs> uh, do, you, do you have anything you'd like to plug before you get out of here? Yeah. Apologies for the distraction in the final 10 minutes. Wasn't uh, expecting that one, no but problem. no, I'm just uh Benjamin S Raven on Twitter. Uh, been doing the play-by-play for combat one wrestling. That's kind of the off season deal, but mlife.com slash lions is where I live most of the time. <laughs> And you and Kyle Mikey have a great podcast too. Uh, yeah, the Dungeon, Dungeon of, of Doom. Dungeon of Doom podcast. <laughs> really good listen for for Lions fans. Highly recommend. Um, but yeah, that's thank, a great thanks. Reference. Yes, you gotta love. Well, that's yeah, that's Jim Caldwell who called the uh, the media room Dungeon of Doom. Dungeon of Doom. Yeah, uh, good times. Good times with old Jimmy. Uh, but yeah, that's uh, thanks for coming and and uh, and next week we got another big show. Uh, I finally broke down or broke Keith down and he is going to watch space jam for the first time in his entire <laughs> life. And we're going to talk it over on next week's episode. So we'll, we, we are, we are going to get my first reaction to space jam. I cannot <laughs> wait space jam next. I'm kind week. of dreading it, but I'm, I'm looking forward to the challenge. <laughs> we'll see you guys. then. <laughs>